studying from 2 Peter, the first nine verses. And I'm going to read that. Now I'm reading this out of the ESV while I'm thinking in my head in the King James. So if I kind of stammer, you're just going to have to live with that. <laughs> Hear the word of God. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through, because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with vir- virtue knowledge, and with knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our uh, Lord Jesus Christ. For whosoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray tonight that what you have laid on my heart would be an encouragement to these dear ones. I pray that you would strengthen them, that you would guide us all through this time where we we see how active you are in our lives and and what a the promise that you have given us of of always being with us and always growing us in Christ. May you use the foolishness of my preaching this evening to make your truths known to these dear ones. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, Second Peter is not where most people will go or the commentaries will tell you to go to learn about discipleship. But that's where we're taking it tonight, is discipleship. And you'll see that in here as we briefly go through these nine verses. So I'm going to kind of speed through because of time restraint. <laughs> I'm used to having 45 minutes to an hour and a half, so i got to kind of learn how to work this stuff. So we know that each of us have times in our lives where, where the speed of change and weight of commitments blur our priorities. I want us to see that the one consistent thing in our life has to be God and our worship of God. If we develop consistent times of corporate worship or attending the corporate worship that we have and personal study in the scriptures, we would see our life slow down and clear up up the, the chaos and the uncertainty in our lives. Discipline in the scriptures would improve our personal walk with the Lord. Our marriages, child rearing, our ability to be model citizens and employees. These are all things that all of us desire to have 
especially in our marriage. Did you know that the scripture, when it discusses marriage anywhere in the Bible, never talks about the per, our personal response being according to the quality of the one, the other individual? So when we go to Ephesians 5, 22, wives submitting to their husbands is unto the Lord. In Ephesians 5, 25, husband love your wife, says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We look at the commands. In these verses, the Holy Spirit is saying, don't look at your husband and see all of his flaws. Don't look at your wife and judge her sin, which we're both good at doing that. Both of these are subject to the imperatives, the wives to the Lord, the husbands as Christ also. So when we look at these commands in these verses, the Holy Spirit, well, I already did that. So what we need to understand here when we approach this study we want to gain a better understanding uh, of several imperatives within the word of God. These are some of those imperatives. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Husband, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Church, obey those that rule over you. As individuals, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These goal, with these goals in mind, let's, let's go ahead and take a look now at 2 Peter. So 2 Peter, the first four verses are going to give us, um, they're going to give us a, an encouragement of what we have in Christ. Five through seven are going to give us steps that God takes us through in our walk in Christ to grow us in Christ. And then 8 and 9 are going to give us a promise and a warning. So that's the direction we're going tonight. So it starts out, now, my study on my paper is the new King James. So it's going to be a little bit, bit different than what I read from. But I think the clarity of it will, will show through. So I'll, I'll, just so when you read it, say, that's not what he just read. It is what I just read. So Simon Peter Verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those that have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter calls himself a bondservant, one who has sold out to Jesus Christ. No desire of his own and will of his own. He willingly places himself under Christ's authority in every area of his life. And that's, that's going to be impactful to what we're talking about here. Peter also calls himself an apostle, which means he speaks boldly and pronounces the truth of the word of God through the authority that he has in Christ because he was personally taught by Christ and personally commissioned by Christ. So he's an ambassador. He says, to those who have attained like precious faith with ours. So he's saying we also should be bond servants of Jesus Christ, and we also are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We have the authority through the word of God to speak the truth to others, and we need to be doing that. So we were saved the same way the apostles were, and we are to serve the same way the apostles do. We are to be bond servants the same way they are, and we're to preach the truth the same way they did. Because we were saved by the same God, Everything that was true of them is true of us. And that's important in this scripture here. 
So verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you and the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So we know that grace is unmerited favor. So the first thing we need to understand is because of our position in Christ, we have not only been saved by unmerited favor, but we live a life under a canopy of unmerited favor. Next, peace. He tells us that we, have a, we should have a calm, settled state of well-being. In Christ, we should experience this calm, settled state of well-being in, in regard of our present circumstances. So he's saying, even in the midst of your circumstances, you should have peace. You should have a calm, settled state, understanding that as a bondservant of Christ, you're submitting to everything that God has placed in your life. Looking, look at how this is bracketed. So next we have knowledge, and it's bracketed, um, peace is bracketed between grace and knowledge. And this knowledge that is spoken of here, the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, this knowledge is epinosis. There's two words that are prevalent in the word of God for knowledge. There's gnosis and epinosis. Epinosis is a deeper understanding. It's a experiential knowledge. It's a knowledge based on a personal relationship that has grown and is deeply um, committed and, and you have this personal time with the one that you have the knowledge of. You have a personal experience that grows you in your understanding of whatever it is that you have that knowledge in. Here is an knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So many times epinosis is called wisdom because wisdom is the application of knowledge. So you learn something, you apply it. The more you apply it, the more you understand it. The more you understand it, the wiser you are, right? So verse 3, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, the knowledge of him who has called us by his grace and virtue. Notice all the way through here from verse 1, everything that we're doing here, this is called uh, uh, ontological procedure through these scriptures. So what he's doing is he's, he's taking a point and then the next point is drawn from that point. So if this was true, then this is true. If this is true, then this is true. And he's working all the way through these verses, adding points to a previous point, saying for you to get the big picture, you have to know all these little points. So every single thing that he's bringing up here will will be feeding off the previous point. So verse 3, his divine power has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his. So called us. Now, some of your versions of the Bible are going to say by virtue and knowledge. In the Greek, the, the actual word applies to us, but because of, of the present tense and the third person and so forth, it means by his glory and virtue. So knowledge, again, in verse 3, is epinosis. So how are we gaining this experiential knowledge? By his divine power, which he's given to us, pertaining to life and godliness. So we have all these tools in our tool bag. We clearly don't know how to use everything as we should, 
but they're all there, and we're learning how to apply them as we are committed to Jesus Christ and growing in Jesus Christ. So the more we know, the more we see the gifts that we've been given in Christ, and the more we learn how to use them. So our first exhortation is to learn how to use the tools in our bag through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory, his own glory and virtue. So this is not something that we do. We participate in it, but the actual wisdom comes from our submitting to Christ and growing in Christ through the knowledge of him. So everything that we produce is by God's definite and determinate will, drawing us to himself, saving us in Christ, through his, un, his own undeniable glory and immeasurable virtue. So that's where we're at. That's where we're moving on. So this is, this is all discipleship language. This is all what God's doing in us as we draw closer to him. And that's what discipleship is. We, we make a personal commitment between us and the Lord that I'm going to spend as much time as possible in your word. I'm going to spend as much time as possible um, bearing my soul to you and being in corporate worship and being around fellow believers and so on and so forth so that your life is centered around the word of God and not all these other external things that happen around us. We can eliminate a lot of this stuff in our lives if we focus our time on Christ. I've come to the point because I'm so weak when it comes to the world and our federal government and so on and so forth that I've stopped looking at the news. I've stopped having anything to do with any of that. And And it is helping me stay more focused on what's important, and that's Jesus Christ and what we do for him and what we do through him. Right? What happens in the government, the government is in the hands of the Lord. He makes one to stand and another to fall. We have no control over that. We can vote. They can cheat. It doesn't matter. Because God ultimately has determined who's in there and what the purpose is that he has them there. We have these elders and these deacons because God determined it. For his purposes, his glory, and our good. Right? So God has, so we're going to move on to verse 4. By which we have been given, well, I think we're already, no. By which we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. I like this one. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So what is by which? What, what is he talking about when he says by which? He's referring to verse 3. Peter is building onto verse 4 by what he's just stated in verse 3. That's that, that critical thinking and that ontological procedure that Peter is going through here. God's great and precious promises are everything God has told us is true of us and that we receive by his hand. Look, we can go through the word of God and find hundreds, probably thousands of great and precious promises that God has given us. And every time we read our Bibles, every time we study the Word of God, we should see those great and precious promises pop out before our eyes. That through these, 
Uh, so I'm, I'm going to restate the way he's doing this, that through these, that's the great and precious promises, you may be partakers. Those who have personally received the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So Adam's lust, or desire to be like God, condemned us and killed our souls. We, through Christ's sacrifice, are now partakers of his divine nature. We have a new man and we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we've escaped. We've already escaped. Because we have a new man and a new nature, we have already escaped. We are free to eternal life from the world of moral decay and endless hatred of God and endless evil. We've escaped all that. We live in it. We live through it, but not in it. Our, our life is in Christ. All those externals are around us, but we don't have to be part of that. So Peter's point here, starting in 5, will be how that works. He's going to start out, start out with the word but in verse 5. But is a conjunction. So conjunctions in the word of God either tell you I'm going to add to this point or I'm going to move the point to something else. So you have to make the shift with them. Here he's saying, but, um, but for this very reason, giving all diligence. So he's going to go into another steps. So Peter is saying that whatever we have just learned is true of us, but now we have to look at the process of what true discipleship is. What are the thoughts and the deeds of a true disciple? I call verses 5 through 7 the, the sanctification process because he's going to give you a series of steps. And many, many of the commentaries will tell you this is done at one time, and it's only done once. Uh, I'm not of that thinking because I don't think the, the verb uh, all really sets that as, as, as the truth. I think this is a series that happens in our life over and over and over again. As you start to learn something, you go through these steps that give you a better understanding. As you gain that wisdom in that, then you start another process. that's called our trials and tribulations. Continually take us through this. So something to understand as we move forward, all of these faith, virtue, knowledge, all of these are nouns through these next three verses. That means these are qualities that are already true of us and characteristics that are already in our new nature. Notice the similarities in this with the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Those also are all nouns. They are characteristics of our new nature. And that's what Peter is getting to here. He's not saying something new. He's using what we already have been told by Paul but what's already true of us and our new nature. So verse 5, but also for this reason, giving all diligence add to your faith, virtue, and the virtue knowledge. For this reason, what's the for this reason he's giving us? I think it's Peter is talking about verses 3 and 4, our life and godliness through knowledge of him who saved us, the exceeding great and precious promises, our divine nature, 
The fact that we've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's what he's talking about. That's for this reason. That's what that little phrase means, for this reason. So the process is how we mature in Christ through the great gifts that he's given us. So he says, giving all diligence. That's earnestness. That's enthusiasm. As a disciple, our efforts and time should be given to a pursuit of excellence in the knowledge and the wisdom of God. That there should be no, nothing that interferes with that desire to do that. And he says, with that earnestness, add to it. So he says, though you're diligent desire, desiring this, don't, don't be satisfied with the mundane. Look for more. And what's the more here? Virtue. Moral excellence. As we become more faithful, we become more sensitive to our sin. As we become more sensitive to our sin, we confess that sin, and that increases our, our moral rectitude or our ability to have a moral nature that um, is growing within us, where, where we're putting off sin, where we're, we're fighting sin in our lives. Sin, you, you can look at your life and say, we've done it. We've watched movies recently that we watched 20 years ago and we thought was great, and we don't make it through five minutes of the movie and go, oh, really? We watched that? Are you kidding me? But that's because we hadn't grown to the point of sensitivity that we're at now. Now what we're watching every day, if by God's grace we tarry another 20 years and we come back and watch some of the stuff we're watching now, we're going to go, oh, are you kidding me? Because as, you, as a disciple, you're constantly growing in Christ, or should be, right? So he says, add to your faith virtue and the virtue knowledge. This knowledge is different. This is gnosis. He's saying, dig into the word. Learn, 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 learn. That's what gnosis is. Just piling up knowledge. And that knowledge will be turned into epinosis as you learn how to use it. But right now he's saying, labor in learning my word. The heart of the disciple should ever be increasing their learning. So, and as they learn, they'll see the fruits of their labors grow. And as they see the fruit of their labor grow, they'll increase in their understanding. So we want to see victory in one. If we want to see victory in one area, we're encouraged to learn more to see victory in, victory in other areas. So as you gain something here, you say, yeah, the more I learned, that made sense. Let me study this. Let me start dealing with this in my life. And you'll learn and you grow in that. So this word knowledge is not the same in 2 and 3, which was epinosis. So they were talking about, and Peter was talking about in those first verses, what we have in Christ because of our deep personal relationship with him. Now he's talking about how we live that life through the knowledge that we gain through studying the word, so on and so forth. So he's, now in verse 6 he says, add to knowledge, self-control, and self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. So as we grow in faith and virtue, and through that practical application of knowledge, we'll gain self-control. 
And what's self-control? Self-control is self-mastery of our emotions. Continued self-restraint. Temperance. We become aware of our need of self-control, and little by little we get better at dealing with the adversity in our life without losing our tempers. That's an ongoing process with me. (laughs) I have a temper. And through God's perseverance in my life, I learned how to deal with that temper. Here he's saying, by our faith, virtue, and knowledge, we start learning self-control. And because of that self-control, as we develop that, it will give us perseverance. See how he's adding one to another? Now he's given us perseverance. That's patient endurance. Patient endurance allows a believer to remain under the adversity and patiently endure it, trusting in Christ to deal with the situation for them. With this newfound mastery of self-restraint and patient endurance, we become more godly. So he says, add to self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness. That's godlikeness. The inner response of the human spirit to the things of God that shows itself in godly piety and reverence. This is what people should see of you as you walk through this world. Without you saying a word, they should see that you're different. They should see a piety about you. They should see self-control. They should see a temperance about you. They should see a humility and a reverence about you that they don't see in others. And they immediately, without saying he's a Christian, know there's something different about you, and they start watching you. It's his own testimony. So this devotion is a thing that God, things of God in the pursuit of God, that transform us into a God-likeness. Verse 7. I'm really kicking as fast as I can here, guys. Verse 7 is, Add to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. So now you have this process going into the qualities of character that, that end in two forms of love. So now we've learned all these things, and he says, now we're going to add to this godlikeness, brotherly kindness. And that's what uh, brotherly kindness is, is particularly a love for the brethren. This is a Christian to Christian love. This is a believer to believer love. This is why when you go into a workplace and you hear there's another Christian, you're automatically drawn to them. Even if they are premillennial, dispensational, you know, whatever. They're believers in Christ. They were saved the same way you are. You have a desire to be near them and, and to commune with them in Christ. That's brotherly kindness. It's affection. So this love isn't for all mankind. It's particularly for the saints. We can see how our devotion to God and our pursuit of learning and our living for God would, can change the dynamics of a congregation. If, if we concentrated on what Peter is talking about here in these first nine verses... It would change the dynamics in the church. You say, our dynamics are fine. No, they aren't. They can always grow. They can always get better. 
And that's what we want. We want to be constantly growing together in a unity and in a, a beauty in Christ that draws others to us. That's how you become light and salt. And that's what we want to be. It's light and salt to the community. We want them to see in us and say, I want what they have. I want, I want the peace that they exude. We can imagine that the increased affection of fellow believers would look like to the world. John 13.35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So if we display this genuine desire of affection for fellow believers and like-minded people, it will be displayed itself in self-devotion. Right? And finally, love. This is unselfish, deliberate, all-consuming, purposeful devotion and commitment. And particularly here is to Jesus Christ, but this is the same love used in Ephesians and other places for how we should treat one another. But this, is, this love permeates into your family, your family devotion, uh, into the, the, your desire for other believers and your overwhelming desire to see the elect come to Christ and be part of that. So this is an all-consuming love for everything that's God. In our marriage, we as men love our wives because we love Christ. Our wives submit to us because they love Christ. Not because we're anything, not because they're anything, but both of us as disciples in Christ do what we do for the other because of our love and devotion to Jesus Christ. Right? That's what marriage is. That's what it's based on. And many times I fail horribly. But that's my goal, to love her as Christ loved the church. Now, we're almost at the end, the final, the promise and the warning. Verse 8 and 9, for if these things be in you and abound, they will, they will be neither, hmm, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even a blindness, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his sin. So Peter concludes with a promise. The promise is, if we do everything that we just read in these previous verses, we will never be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives us a warning. If you don't do what we just learned in those previous verses, you will suffer for your lack of desire and lack of, of being a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and you will not experience the joy that comes from knowing that you have been cleansed from your sins. We want to know and experience the love and the comfort and the peace and the endurance that comes from knowing that we've been cleansed from our sins. So this whole section, if you... Take it upon yourself to go back and read it on your own. Look at it from the point of discipleship. Christ is telling us what, Peter is telling us what we have in Christ and how God grows us in Christ so that we can be together, so that we can be in unity, 
so that we can be an example to the world as time goes by. And because of that, our love and devotion to Jesus Christ grows with every trial and tribulation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's inerrant and infallible. We thank you that we can trust it in every area of our life. We thank you that you have answered every need that we have. May we ever be confessing our sins before you. May we be studying and growing in Christ. May we be blessed by the fellowship of like-minded believers. And may we ever be taught that we can turn to Christ for all things in our life. Father, bless this body as they look to you for who should be the shepherd of this flock on a full-time basis so that this church uh, will continue to grow and serve you and that these men who are diligently taking it upon themselves now uh, while having other responsibilities would get um, some refreshment uh, by having somebody full-time. Father, we know that person is out there. We know that you have already selected who it will be. I pray that you give those on the committee the wisdom and the elders the wisdom to know who is that man and to bring him in here for the sake of the flock, your sheep who love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.